Amen. We'll start reading in verse 1, Matthew chapter 6. Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. So when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that they may be honored by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving will be done in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. When you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners, so that they may be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then in this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed, holy be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us, not, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I'd like to speak to you all on the subject of secret prayer. So we're really going to focus in on verses 5 through 7. The mark of a true Christian is that they're a praying Christian. And the mark of a true church is that it's a praying church. Jesus said, my house shall be called a house of what? Of prayer. It'll be called a house, not necessarily a house of preaching, not necessarily a house of service, but my house shall be called a house of prayer. And he says in this this, uh, section, when you pray, not if. J.C. Ryle said this, he said, prayer is the life breath of true Christianity Here it is that religion begins, here it flourishes, and here it decays. I mean, that's really a strong statement if you think about it. I mean, your your Christianity began crying out to God, you prayed. If it's flourishing, if you're doing well spiritually, it's directly connected with your prayer life, is it not? And if it's going to decay, if it's going to go downhill, or if people are going to fall away from the faith and show that they were never saved to begin with, it's going to be from departing from meeting with God in prayer, isn't it? So here it is that it begins, here it flourishes, here it decays. Out of all of the activities of the Christian life, none is so important as secret prayer. I mean, that's a strong statement, but I really believe that. That out of all the things we do in serving one another, this or that, I really believe that there is nothing that is more important in the daily walk than the daily walk with God, and in that walk, meeting with God in secret, in the secret place. What do I mean by secret? It means our private life lived only before God, right? It's, it's when no one else is looking, right? No one else is seeing what you're doing. You don't get any praise from other people for what you're doing. They don't know how much time you're spending with God or 
you know, they don't see the fervency of, of your prayer life. It, it's, it's just live totally in secret. God's the only one who sees it. He's the only one that can reward you, right? There's no reward from other people. You know, you don't get to see, be seen by other people like other activities in the Christian life. You know, our life should be like an iceberg. I don't know if you guys have been in um, Dick's study, but he's got this poster on the wall that has a big picture of an iceberg, and it says perception. You should take a look at it after the meeting if you get a chance. But it shows the iceberg on the top, and it's just this tiny little iceberg. But underneath, I mean, it's massive. You know, it's floating there. And so most of it's underwater that's, that's keeping it up or whatever. So you just see the top, but you don't realize how big that thing actually is. And brethren, that's the way it should be with our life, right? People in the world, they just see the, the top part of the iceberg. They just see, you know, they see our kindness. They see our love. But much of the Christian life is not lived before people. Much of the Christian life is supposed to be lived, as the Bible says here, in secret. It's that part of you which is only before God, which no one else sees. And I would argue that that is the most important part about your life because that's the real you, right? If, If someone's life is like an iceberg but there is nothing else deeper, all you see is what's on the surface, what's on top, what is that called? That's called hypocrisy, right? You're saying, yeah, I believe all these things. Yeah, I love Jesus, but it's just on the surface. It's just to be seen by men. It's just so other people can see it or whatever. But there's nothing down deeper. So, brethren, we shouldn't be like that. He says to not be like the hypocrites. And so with that said, I wanted to look at the two things Jesus said not to be like. And the first one is he said not to be like a hypocrite. They love to pray. He said they love to stand and pray in the synagogues. They love church. They love it. They love going, but it's for the wrong reason, isn't it? They love to be seen by men, and they get their reward now, and there is no reward in the next life. They got all their praise from other people now. And, brethren, I would argue that's much of what the world religions are. It's just pride. That's all it is. It's the pride of man. They love to wear long and flowing robes. They love to be seen by men. They love, you know, they, they love that. And it's to be seen by men. They've got the reward now. So it's a good question to ask ourselves. Do I pray more in public than I do in private? Is public the only time I pray? Or do I have a, a secret life that I live with God? that I pray to. You know, I have one uh, dear brother, a friend of mine. He's fearful that if he's more emotional in the public prayer meetings than he is in his private life. He's fearful of that. You know, and some of you might scoff at that and think, oh, you shouldn't be worried about that. But I think it's honorable, you know, I mean, that he, he, doesn't, want, he doesn't want there to be a, a difference between his private life and his public life, you know, the way he prays in private and the way he prays in public. He wants there to be a, a uniformity to his life, that it's real, you know. That if he's affected in the prayer meeting, he's also affected emotionally at home when he's meeting with God. So Jesus says, don't, don't pray like the hypocrites who love to be seen by men. But he also says this, he says, When you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do. You know, long, impressive prayers are kind of like anacondas, right? They're smooth, they're long, but they're ugly. They're no good. God's not impressed with such things. The mouth can move a lot while the heart is cold and dead. I mean, there's a lot of people in the world that can, they can, pray, they can pray the rosary for hours. The heart is dead. The mouth's moving. You know, they think they're atoning for their sins by this or something. 
You think of Islam praying five times a day, repeating repetitive prayers. That means nothing to God. God is not impressed by that. It doesn't mean anything to him. How about this? You know, mechanical reading of prayers or reciting of the same prayers. When I was growing up, you know, I, I used to, you know, we used to pray at the dinner table, God is good, God is great, let us thank him for our food, amen. Before I'd go to sleep, now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep, and if I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. You know, I used to, we used to repeat those things, you know, before, the, before eating food and before going to sleep. What does that mean? Do you think I knew what that meant? Do you think I cared what that? It didn't mean anything to God. Don't use meaningless repetition, Jesus says. Don't go on babbling about nothing. Not from the heart. It's not real. When, when I was in India uh, with John Dees, we got invited to go over to this one guy's uncle's house. And we went over there, and um, we got there, and we literally sat down, and he started talking. And he talked for 45 minutes to an hour straight. I'm not kidding you. We did not say a word. We said hello. We came in. We sat down. He talked for 45 minutes. He was telling us about how we should do ministry. And uh, literally, we didn't say a word. We, he finally got done, and John D. said, those that talk a lot are full of pride. And um, the guy went ballistic, you know. And, um, you know, it came out that he was basically serving a Catholic radio station for money. He, was, he said, I won't serve Jesus if I don't get money. But if I get money, then I'll serve Jesus, you know. But that was exhausting. I mean, when you have to listen to someone that talks a lot, that's like one of the most exhausting things you can ever experience. I mean, it's horrible. You're just, I mean, John, I tried to keep, keep making eye contact with him, but John just started looking down. Like he just, after a while, after 30 minutes, he just started looking really, you know, upset and looking down. So I couldn't barely take any more of it. But, you know, I mean, that's a good thought, you know. We shouldn't do that to God. You know, I mean, we shouldn't, you shouldn't come before God just babbling and, and throwing all the stuff out here without really considering who you're coming before, without taking time to realize the God that we're speaking to, you know. Let's, let's turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. I really like this verse because it shows us how we're supposed to approach God. Ecclesiastes chapter 5. This is right after the book of Proverbs, if you forgot. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse 1. Guard your steps as you go near to the house of God and draw near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. Do not be hasty in word or impulsive in thought to bring up a matter in the presence of God. Why? For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. God is in heaven, and you're on earth. Therefore, let, don't be hasty. Don't be impulsive in thought. I mean, to, to realize when we're praying, we're coming before God. Don't go on, we shouldn't come just babbling with meaningless repetition or um, you know, just saying things to say things. You know, we should realize the one that we're coming before. So back over to Matthew chapter 6. How, how then are we to pray? What does Jesus say? So we're not to pray like the hypocrites who prayed in public but had no real private prayer life. And we're not to use meaningless repetition like the Gentiles. God knows what we need. 
How then are we to pray? Well, what does Jesus say in verse 6? And this is what we're going to focus on the rest of the time. But you, you believer, you true Christian, you disciple, but you, when you pray, go into the inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So the first thing I want to bring out here is he says to go into your inner room. So to walk closely with God, we must learn to spend time alone with God. So I want to ask you guys a question. According to this verse, where is God? Where does it say he is? He's in secret, right? Charles has that message on different places God especially is. One of the places God is especially present on earth is in secret. You're not going to find him in the hustle and bustle, the busyness of the world and the hurry of this and that. It's away from all of that. When you're finally quiet, when you're finally alone, behold, there you start meeting with God. I mean, God's there. God meets with his people in secret. I remember uh, Charles talking about Prim Pradhan. He used to say no matter where he traveled all over the world, it was like 4 a.m. or 5 a.m., he said the Lord would wake him up. He said he never set an alarm clock. He said God's waiting for me there. You know, just real simple faith, you know, but it was real. I mean, he's said, God wakes me up, and he's, he's waiting for me there, you know, in the secret place. I mean, is that our thought? Is that our attitude, you know, when it's, when it's a new day? You know, God is waiting. He's eagerly waiting to meet, you know, with his people, to meet with me. God is in secret. I want to read to you guys a, a short little section here. This is, this is from uh, John G. Payton's book. And I love the early part of this book. He's talking about his father. So John G. Payton was a missionary to the South Sea Islands, um, the New Hebrides. He was almost killed multiple times. I mean, he was used by God for the salvation of people that were cannibals and stuff. Uh, but he grew up in Scotland. And um, this is his description of what it was like to grow up in his father's home. Okay, So his dad was a godly man. He was a, a God-fearing man. And he grew up in this home, and this was his everyday experience, their experience. The closet was a very small apartment betwixt the other two, having room only for a bed, a little table, and a chair, with a diminutive window shedding diminutive light on the scene. This was the sanctuary of the cottage home. So it's this little kind of closet, the secret place that his dad would go in there. There daily, and oftentimes a day, Generally after each meal, we saw our father retire and shut the door. And we children got to understand by a sort of spiritual instinct, for the the thing was too sacred to be talked about, that prayers were being poured out there for us, as of old by the high priest within the veil in the most holy place. We occasionally heard the pathetic echoes of a trembling voice, pleading as if for life, and we learned to slip out and in past that door on tiptoe, not to disturb the holy colloquy. The outside world might not know, but we knew whence came that happy light as of a newborn smile that was always dawning on my father's face. It was a reflection from the divine presence in the consciousness of which he lived. Never in temple or cathedral, on mountain or in glen, can I hope to feel that the Lord God is more near, more visibly walking and talking with men, than under that humble cottage roof of thatch and oaken wattles. 
Though everything else in religion, if everything else in religion were by some unthinkable catastrophe to be swept out of memory or blotted from my understanding, my soul would wander back to those early scenes and shut itself up once again in that sanctuary closet and hearing still the echoes of those cries to God would hurl back all doubt with the victorious appeal, he walked with God, why may not I? So, I mean, this was, he saw his dad living the reality of this, uh, you know, meeting with God in the secret place. He said, if everything else got blotted out of my mind, out of, totally out of everything religious, my mind would wander back to that. You know, I mean, he saw the reality in his father's life. That was what impressed him. And probably he was saved as a result of those prayers, right? I mean, had his dad not done that, there would have been no missionary. There would have been no John G. Payton sent to the South Sea Islands. So it is in secret. You know, wherever it is for you, whether it be outside, you go for a walk, or out in the woods, on a rooftop. Uh, There's one account in that little book, The Hidden Life of Prayer, where there's a, a busy mother of five, and she taught her children that if you see the apron go up over my head, you're not allowed to disturb me. So, you know, for 15 minutes or whatever kind of throughout the day, if the apron went up over the head, they knew, don't talk to mom, she's praying under there, you know. It doesn't have to be super spiritual, you know, it doesn't have to be a little uh, little chapel in your house. When I was in China, uh, you know, there's just so many people in China, the only place I could find was next to a dumpster, uh, because literally, I mean, there's just so, you know, and you stand out if you're an American or whatever, you know, so it can be strange places, uh, but it's important to, to find somewhere to get alone, to meet with God. You know, a good relationship is kept open by communication, and it's no different with man and God, is it? It's not. We must leave the busyness of the world and find him in the secret place. What else does Jesus say? He says, But you, when you pray, go into your inner room and close the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. He says to close the door doesn't he? Hudson Taylor said this. He said, it's not wasted time to wait upon God. It's not wasted time, but it does take time, doesn't it? One old saint said this. He said, hurried prayer is a curse. It's a curse. That's that's a pretty strong statement. You may say, well, I I pray throughout the day in my mind, but I, I don't have a set time that I pray. I don't, I don't really try to set apart any chunk of time, at least, to meet with God. I just kind of pray, you know, during the business of life throughout my day in my mind, to which I would say that Jesus says, close the door. It's not wrong to pray throughout the day, but he, this does mean something. I mean, he's saying to get away. He's saying to go get in secret and shut the door. Shut the door on the outside world. Shut the door in the, the busy thoughts of the mind. All of the day's activities. Ian Bound says this. He says, Short devotions are the bane of deep piety. Calmness, grasp, and strength are never the companions of hurry. Short devotions deplete spiritual vigor, arrest spiritual progress, sap spiritual foundations. They are the prolific source of backsliding and the sure indication of superficial piety. I mean... That's that's strong statement. This is Ian Bounds. I didn't say that. Ian Bounds said that, you know. And um, you know, some of you might be bothered by that, or you know, say, well, you know, that's all that's all I can do, or whatever. 
you know, and I know that many of you are busy. You know, I know, I know that many of you are tired mothers. I know it's chaos all day, every day. Um, you know, and I guess what I would say to that is this, that, yeah, it's not going to be the same as when you're single or when you did have more time, but you still have to fight for some time, right? I mean, it's not okay to say, well, I'm really busy, and, and, and therefore this is just the way it's going to be. I'm just going to have five minutes, you know, just to get my devotions done for the day or whatever. I mean, that's not right. Jesus said to shut the door. If Jesus is telling us to do this, he can give us the grace to do it in whatever walk. You know, and I don't say this to condemn any mothers or anything like that, but I, I know one brother um, and his wife. They have two children. One has severe autism, and, I mean, her day is nonstop, all day, every day when she's with the, with the child. And she has to get up at 4 o'clock in the morning to meet with God. And she's tired. I mean, she is tired. But she's learned something. She knows that her spiritual life depends on it even if she suffers from lack of sleep and possibly the salvation of her children depend on it. You know, that she's meeting with God and interceding, crying out for their souls daily. We must fight for it. The truth is this, that if we have time to look at Facebook, if we have time to watch movies, then you have time to pray. I mean, that's the bottom line. There is no good excuse for not making time, not seeking God. There it's not going to cut it. You know, if we have time for entertainment, if we have time for fun, then you have time to cut something out of your schedule or you have time to get up 30 minutes earlier to meet with God in prayer. I mean, let's look at it from a human standpoint. What would you all think if a husband only talked to his wife in a hurry? Oh, I just kind of, we just talk, you know, you know, one sentence is here and there, but we're both doing our own things all day and, and it's just kind of on the go and that's, that's all our communication is. We never sit down together and have dinner. We never really talk deeply. We don't lay in bed and talk together about life and what's going on. You'd say, that's a, that's a terrible relationship. You'd say, that's so superficial. Do they even really love one another? It's the same thing with God. You know, may, may it not be that we're too busy, quote-unquote, for God. We're too busy to set aside time to really meet with God in the secret place. And I, I want to tell you, brethren, you know, as God teaches us to do this, your flesh may not like it. It might be hard. It, it is hard at first. If you do try to discipline yourself for the purpose of prayer, I mean, if you try to start endeavoring to set aside more time to meet with God, it's hard. The flesh doesn't like it. But, brethren, the more we do it, it's like water to the soul. And the truth is this, growth is going to be slow and sad if we don't learn to pray if we don't learn what it is to meet with our Father in secret, to close the door. Another point here is this, that we must be convinced that it is life and death. Now, I've been convinced of this by personal experience, that if I do not meet with God in the secret place, it's going to be a bad day. And I've been convinced by this from the Scripture itself. I mean, that that this is, you know, you don't put on the armor. You, you put on the armor before you go to battle, Right? You don't put it on afterwards. You get up in the day, you're facing a battle. Every day for the Christian, you have three things against you, right? You're being assaulted by demonic powers. You've got the whole world system trying to tempt you away from God by covetousness or by sensuality or by this or that. You've got your own flesh to contend with. You don't put the armor on at the end of the day. You put it on at the beginning before everything starts coming towards you, you know, before the battle begins. We're spiritually defenseless if we don't. Are we weak? You know, is our spiritual life weak? 
Paul Washer says this. He said, it's often no great mystery as to why we're weak. It's very simple. Neglect of the word of God and, and secret prayer. I mean, it's a, have you not found that to be true in your own life? That, I mean, to the degree that you are setting aside time to meet with God and you really are meeting with him there, to that degree you're walking in spiritual victory and strength and help because God's filled you with the spirit. He's met with you. He's, he's renewed your mind. You've got a glimpse of, of the truth of reality of what you're really living for that day. Let's turn. I, I want to read these verses in Exodus chapter 16. I've really appreciated Brother Charles and the thoughts he's brought out here. I want to ask you kids a question. Suppose you decided that, you know, I'm spending way too much time eating food. You know, I mean, do this three times a day. I mean, I'd rather be playing with more of that time, right? I mean, we're spending 30 minutes at the dinner table. I could be outside playing. I'm just going to eat 20 pounds of food every Monday morning, and that's just going to carry me for the rest of the week so I can, I can stop wasting all this time throughout the rest of the week. Is that going to work, kids? No, it's not going to work. Yeah, your, your stomach's going to be overflowing, and you'll probably throw up. and It won't work, and then by the next day you'll be hungry again, even if you tried to eat as much as you possibly could, right? Brethren, it's the same way in regard to the spiritual reality. And this is what I think God is teaching. God delivered the people of Israel out of Egypt. He brings them into the desert on their way to the promised land, and they don't have any food, right? So he says, I'm going to provide it for you. So let's read this uh, little short section here, Exodus chapter 16 and verse 13, starting in verse 13. So it came about at evening that the quails came up and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the layer of dew evaporated, behold, on the surface of the wilderness there was a fine flake-like thing, fine as the frost on the ground. So they said they get up in the morning, there's this weird flaky stuff on the ground. When the sons of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread which the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather it, every man, as much as he should eat, and you shall take an omer apiece according to the number of persons each of you have in his tent. So the sons of Israel did so. And some gathered much and some little. When they measured it with an omer, he who had gathered much had no excess, and he who had gathered little had no lack. Every man gathered as much as he should eat. Moses said to them, Let no man leave any of it until morning. But they did not listen to Moses, and some left part of it until morning, and it bred worms and became foul. So they tried to keep some extra for the next day, right? It got nasty. And Moses was angry with them. They gathered it morning by morning, every man as much as he needed, as much as he should eat. But when the sun grew hot, it would melt. Three principles. Number one, they would die without the bread. There was no food in the wilderness. If God did not supernaturally provide them with manna, that, that flaky bread-like stuff, they were going to perish. They were going to die. And brethren, it's the same way with us. We're walking through the wilderness right now. There is heavenly manna in the word and in prayer and meeting with God. And if we don't eat it, we're going to die. And brethren, number two, they could not store up yesterday's bread for the next day. We can't live on yesterday's experience. In one way, it does not matter at all if you had a really great time in prayer yesterday, right? It doesn't matter if you had a really great time last week. 
What matters is today. I mean, today we need fresh bread. You can't live off that. You can't, you can't trust in that or bank on that. You, you wake up in the morning, Lord, feed me or I perish. Feed me or I die. I need, I need your presence. I need your spirit. I need you to meet with me. Or this day is going to be in vain or I'm going to fail you today. Third principle, they had to get it before the sun grew hot, right? If they waited too long, the sun came up, the day started getting busy, and it melted all that manna, it was gone. Brethren, the sun starts getting hot in our day. I mean, when does the sun get hot? It might be at different times for different people, depending on when you have to go into work. But the sun is going to get hot. I mean, the children are going to start waking up, things are going to start getting busy, and eventually, if it starts rising too high, you know, I mean, Basically, that day was lost. You get so busy, and then there, there is no time anymore to meet with God. I mean, it's, it's gone. You know, you've been, you've been going nonstop. This is what John Bunyan said. God taught him this. You know, you can take it or leave it. Uh, but John Bunyan said it. <laughs> he who runs from God in the morning scarcely finds him the rest of the day. That's what he said. He, from his experience, if he ran, if he got busy, ran from God in the morning, you know, lo and behold, the day just kept getting busier, and you know, he didn't, didn't end up having time the rest of the day. Just to be clear, I'm not saying it's wrong if you do, you know, if you do have your devotion times in the evening or you do make time to meet with God. I'm not saying that this is an absolute in the Bible. I'm just saying it's a general principle, and there is something to the idea of meeting with God before things get crazy during the day, at least in some measure even if your longer period is later on in the day or something like that. Lastly, back in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Brethren, we must seek to meet with God. Don't leave. Tarry there. Wait until you've met with God in a fresh way. I mean, where you experientially are tasting in a fresh way the goodness of God, the love of God. You're seeing afresh the cross. You're, you're experiencing help by the Spirit to pray, to intercede for other people. Seek to meet with God. The goal is not just to spend a long time I mean, one, one sister, before she was saved, she would spend three hours in prayer. She was not saved. I mean, her knees would get exhausted. But she did all that in the flesh. When she actually got saved, she couldn't pray as long. See, because all that was fake. And then when she really was starting to pray for the first time for real, she found it wasn't, you know, I mean, it, it's a lot harder to do, you know, than just mumbling stuff. It's not about just spending a, a lot of time. You know, it's better to spend 20 minutes and to have real contact with God, to really meet with him, to experience his love, to experience his grace for you that day. That's far better to have 20 minutes than several hours if it's real, right? We're concerned about what's real, what's from the heart. Psalm 27.4, One thing I have asked from the Lord that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. One thing. What's the one thing you want when you wake up in the morning? I mean, is it money? Is it success in your business? Is it, you know, fleshly joys? Or is it to meet with God? 
Lord, I've come. I, you're the one thing I want. You're the, to, to behold your beauty. You're the only thing worth living for this day. It makes getting up a, a little bit easier when, when we're believing, right? I mean, you know, when you're not just waking up and you're thinking about how hard the workday is going to be and all the trials and struggles of life, when you wake up and think, my father, he's, he's, he's waiting to meet with me. He's wanting to meet. He's eager. He's desirous to meet with me. He, Jesus says, pray to your father. Intimate closeness of a relationship. Brethren, God is a person to be sought, loved, and enjoyed. Not a check mark to check off in our busy lives, right? Check mark. I had my, devo- my 10 minute quick trip devotion time with God. Got that off the list. Now I can get on to the more important stuff of the day. Brethren, that's offensive to God. You know, I mean, he should be the one thing that we desire, the one thing that we're pursuing. In thy presence is fullness of joy, and at thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Do we believe that? That meeting with God, you know, I, I mean, may it be true that we can honestly say the best part of our day is meeting with God. That, that you know, hey, what are you doing for fun? Or what's the, what, you know, what's been fun? I've been meeting with God. You don't really hear anyone say that at the workplace when they ask you what you've been doing. But may it be the reality in our life, the best part of our day. So in application, I guess just a few questions. Number one, do you pray? Do you meet with God um, in the secret place? Do you have a desire to? It's surely a mark of being lost if there's no desire. If, you, if God's kind of boring to you, like, oh, you know, he's just, he is just a check mark. He's, he's nothing to me. I mean, I, I don't really care. I don't really notice any difference between my Christianity, if it's a good day or bad day, as to whether I meet with God. You know, I mean, that, it's a scary thing. Do I pray in secret or just in public? Number two, if you're young and you're a believer, learn now. I mean, while you're young, set the principle in your life that's going to last a lifetime of setting aside time to meet with God daily. I mean, you're young. That means you have a lot more time than you're going to have in the future. I mean, when you get married, your life gets a little bit more busy. Obviously, once you have kids, it's going to get even more busy. Then when you have grandkids, perhaps even more busy. I don't know. I haven't been to the second or third stage there. But um, while you're young, learn this. Learn. Be taught by God to pray. Make it the priority of your day, the most important part of your day. And lastly, to the old, or the older, I should say, you know, as you, as you approach, you know, as our bodies are decaying, you know, I mean, you know, active service, you know, we're going to be able to do less and less. But there's one thing you'll still be able to do, right? And it's the most important thing. And perhaps, you know, I mean, now could be the best part of your Christian ministry in your whole life. And you, physically you could be able to do less. But if, if, if the Holy Spirit blesses you as you get older, I mean, God could really teach you. I mean, you might have more and more time. that you, God might teach you to be able to, to spend more time with him and really intercede for the needs of those around you. It's the most effectual work you can do is to pray, to meet with God and pray and intercede for others. So may the Lord help us, you know, um, may convict us, you know, where it's needed, where, where we do need to change things, uh, and may encourage us. You know, that's possible. His grace is sufficient. He can help us. He can teach us. You know, I need this too. You know, I, I need to be taught more by God, the vital place of secret prayer. So, amen. Let's pray.
Lord Jesus, we do say like the disciple, teach us to pray. Lord, um, instruct us in the path we should walk. Lord, we know it's different for everyone with our schedules and our lives. Lord, we, we just want whatever you want for us, Lord. And we just pray that we'd be individually taught by God, Lord, that you would, you would grow us in this area. Lord, um, I think of that one brother that said that if we're strong in prayer, we're strong everywhere, Lord. And uh, Lord, we, we do want to walk by the Spirit. We want to live in victory. And Lord, we want to meet with you. We want to delight in you more and experience more of what you have for us, more of the, the heavenly realities, Lord. So we just pray, help your people. Lord, we're weak, we're needy, and we're trusting in you, Lord, to carry us, to help us. In Jesus' name, amen.